This is Positively Farming Media. Hello, my gardening friends. Welcome back to the Just Grow Something podcast. This week, we're talking asparagus. Asparagus is a fantastic perennial with healthy beds lasting as long as 30 years. Now, I know we've been talking the last few weeks about preparing our garden beds for fall. And since asparagus crowns are planted in the spring, the fall is when you want to prepare that bed. So today we'll go over everything that you need to know about planting and growing asparagus so you can get your beds prepped in time and place those orders for your spring crowns. In the question of the week, we're talking another favorite perennial, strawberries. Lots of questions around winter requirements for these juicy beauties, so I'll give you the lowdown on what you should be doing for them in the off-season. And in the DRL, we're talking downtime, southern living, and Elise Myers. And I've got a correction from last week. Let's dig in. Hey, I'm Karen. I started gardening years ago in a small corner of my suburban backyard, then moved to a five-acre lot outside city limits and expanded that garden to half an acre. What started as a way to provide for my family turned into a love for digging in the dirt and providing for others. Slowly, my husband and I built our small homestead into a 40-acre market farm through lots of trial and error and successes and failures. Eventually, I went back to school to get my degree in horticulture, and along the way, I discovered there is power in food. So I want to share everything I've learned with as many people as possible. This podcast is all about helping you become a better gardener and a better eater. Whether you're a seasoned gardener or have never grown a thing in your life, I want to give you the knowledge you need to get the biggest and best harvest you can. So settle in, grab that garden journal, and get ready to just grow something. Okay, so let's start with a little bit of the correction section here. Um, Last week's episode, I was talking about the things that you should be doing in your garden right now to prepare them for fall that are going to benefit them in the spring, and we talked a lot about mulch. Now, when I'm talking to you, I'm, you know, basically I make my bullet points, but I go through and just talk to you, and every once in a while I either get ahead of myself or I misstate something and I may not catch it when I go back and edit, but then later when I uh, air the episode and I listen to it, I realize that maybe I made a mistake, and this is in one of those instances. I actually misspoke. When I was talking about mulching, I said something about leaving mulch in place over the winter helps heat the soil up sooner in the spring. That is not correct. Um, Putting your mulch in place does help the soil stay warmer in the fall as it moves into the winter, but it may actually keep the soil cooler in the spring unless it's a dark mulch, um, like a landscape fabric or something like that. But we were talking about natural mulches. Generally speaking, if you want the soil to warm up more quickly, you may want to be pulling back those lighter mulches to allow the heat to penetrate the soil sooner rather than later. So that was a little bit of a a misstatement on my part. So mulch will help keep the soil warmer in the fall, but it may keep the soil cooler in the spring unless it's a very dark mulch. So just wanted to make sure that we were all on the same page there and I didn't want to spread any misinformation to you. Now, let's uh, let's jump into the question of the week. And this one is all about how to overwinter strawberries. Um, I've had a lot of people wondering, especially since I was talking about fall-planted strawberries on TikTok. Um, I had a lot of questions there. I've had people asking me at the, uh, at the farm stand or at the farmer's market, 
wanting to know what they should do with their strawberries, especially if this is their first year with them. So whether they are in the ground or they're in a raised planter or they're in a pot or another movable container, um, you're going to want to worry about two different things with overwintering strawberries, freeze protection and water. Now, I did an episode about fall planted strawberries last year. That's episode 60, and I will link to it in the show notes, but I haven't done like a full start to finish episode on them yet. So note to self, I will uh, I will do a full episode on strawberries. But what you need to know for overwintering strawberries is, like I said, freeze protection and water. Now, obviously, if you are in a warmer climate, um, the freeze protection is not going to be necessary. Um, but if you are in an area that routinely gets down below freezing, mulch is going to be your friend here. I know it always goes back to mulch and compost, but there's a good reason for that. Mulch is going to be the way that you protect the strawberry crowns and the roots from being damaged from extreme winter cold. So three inches is a good rule of thumb. Um, if you're in a really cold area, you may shoot for closer to six inches. Um, you're going to apply the mulch over the strawberries after they have gone dormant. And this is going to, like I said, protect them from extreme winter cold. And it's also going to prevent damage that could be caused to the roots by that whole freeze-thaw cycle, right? The most common thing to use is straw. But you can also use pine needles or wood shavings or any other sort of loose organic material. Anything that's going to provide cover without matting down. Um, special note on this, if you're using leaves, that's fantastic, but make sure that they're chopped or they will mat, in which case they are going to be too heavy for those plants and it could cause damage. So using leaves is fantastic. Make sure they're chopped up. In that instance, you may need to add more than three inches because the leaves on the bottom will start to break down into the soil. That's fantastic. It will feed the soil, but that also means that that layer is going to start to shrink a little bit. So you may need to either add some more later on or just start with a heavier layer. Um, another alternative to this is fabric row covers or frost cloths. These are the same things that we use in the spring if we're trying to protect our, our plants from late frosts or you know, things we use in the fall to protect our, our plants from early frosts. A single layer of a commercial frost cloth is going to be sufficient fairly early on, especially if you're protecting newly planted strawberries, if you've done a fall planting. But in most climates, if you regularly get down below freezing, you're going to eventually want to put a second or even third layer of frost cloth on top by early winter. Um, you could just throw straw on top of the row cover too, but what I have found is by using frost cloth, you're actually allowing sun to come through. This means that you're going to have better growth for the plant in the fall as it's trying to preserve those nutrients and store those nutrients away for overwinter. And then as you slowly start to pull that mulch layer back in the spring, it's still going to be protected from the cold temperatures, but again, it's going to allow a little bit more light through than what you would with a straw. In any case, use whatever is comfortable for you, use what you have on hand, use what is, is easiest. No matter what you use, the mulch should stay on the strawberry plants until the new growth begins the next spring. In our area, that's around mid-April. Now, if you're in an area that often sees sort of a surprise late frost, like we do here, you can 
leave the mulch on just a little bit longer. This is going to delay the blooming a little bit, which means that if you do have a late frost, then you're less likely to have flower damage. But be careful because if you wait too long, you're going to reduce the number of flowers that you have, which means you're not going to get as many berries. So in general, what I will do is just go ahead and pull all of the mulch back in, like I said, about the, about mid-April, whenever you start to see this, the soil temperatures are starting to warm up and they're wanting the plants are starting to green up, pull it off to the side, but I leave it next to the bed. That way, if those plants have already set their blooms that are already blossoming and we get word that we're going to have a late frost, I can just really quickly go through and cover those plants back up again. It doesn't matter whether it's straw or it's, it's you know, whatever mulch you're using, the row cover, whatever, just keep it available and you can throw it back over top again really quickly. Is it effort? Yes, but it's going to protect your plants. That's just what I do. If your strawberries are in a movable container, um, you might not really need to worry about mulch because you should be allowing those strawberries to naturally die back and go dormant in those containers, but then you can move them to a protected space. So inside in an unheated garage or in a basement, either of those locations is fine. If you don't have an indoor space, push them up against a building if you can, and then go ahead and use a frost cloth or a mulch or just some blankets or something. Your concern at this instance is going to be to cover the base of those containers or those pots because all that air circulating around during the wintertime is going to be colder than what is you know, the ground temperature. So you have the possibility of actually freezing that soil solid, and that means that you may damage those roots. So just make sure that you are protecting the base of those pots if you can't bring them inside. Okay, that was our first, our first concern is the freezing conditions, right? Our second one is the watering needs, and this is important regardless of whether you are in a warm or a cold climate, okay? For outside spaces, most of the time, whatever precipitation happens during the winter is generally going to be enough. Now, if you live in a very dry climate, or obviously if you are overwintering them indoors, you are going to want to water about once per month. The soil doesn't need to be saturated all the time. As a matter of fact, you do not want it saturated all the time because, you know, they're in a dormant state. Those, those plants aren't actively taking up a whole lot in the way of moisture. So if it's constantly sitting in wet soil, you're promoting root rot and crown rot. But the soil also should not be bone dry. So, um, you know, that's going to lock around those roots and actually cause root damage. So a happy medium in there somewhere is just is just where you want it. And again, once a month should be plenty. But in most instances, if it's an outdoor space, you are not going to have to worry about it unless it is a very, very dry climate. Other than that, there is no maintenance necessary for your strawberries during the winter. That's not necessary to cut the foliage back. Just let it come back up in the spring on its own, pull back your mulch, and then go from there. Okay, how about a quick check-in with the DRL? What am I doing reading and listening to? Um, what am I doing? It is time for a little downtime, <laughs> at least on the farm. You know, it's mid-October. Our CSA program is done for the season, which means those deliveries are done. Um, we are getting our first hard frost um, or freeze this evening. I think we're supposed to drop down to about 26 Fahrenheit. 
And so um, I've harvested all of the tender annuals, the tomatoes, the peppers, regardless of what size they are, the green beans, everything that was left out there has been harvested and it is stored up right now. And um, I did go ahead and cover the stuff in the greenhouse and we have the wood burning furnace going out there just to make sure the stuff inside there goes well because we have got, I've got some huge peppers in there. I've got tomatoes in there. I've got some cucumbers in there and I don't want to lose those. And then I also have these little mini greenhouses that I found on clearance at Aldi and I'm testing them out to see how well they do at protecting the tender annuals outside. So I've got a couple of them set up um, in with some of the, the hot peppers, my jalapenos. And so I've got some jalapenos that are not covered at all. And I've got some that have these little mini greenhouses over top of them. And I just want to see exactly how many degrees of protection um, they provide. And then I have another one that is in with the bell peppers. And so I've got some bell peppers that are not protected. And then I have what this one little greenhouse with some additional protection with row cover just to see how it does. I'm not really worried about the peppers at this point. I'm Honestly, I'm tired of picking all of this stuff. But it's a good experiment for me to be able to see exactly what the 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 level of protection I get out of these things so I can try them again in the spring. You know, our markets are dying down. Um, we've got a few markets left for this uh, this month. And then it's just time to uh, to take a little breather before starting on planning out for next season. Now, we still have storage crops. I've got tons of stuff, you know, stacked up. We're still going to be delivering, and, and I'm ready for gardening clients to start getting booked for spring um, or for my garden consulting clients to get booked for spring. Um, but you know, a little bit of a, of a breather is going to be, is going to be nice. So, um, what am I reading? <laughs> Speaking of a breather, I have a whole stack of unread issues of Southern Living Magazine just waiting for me to flip through and peruse. Um, I love looking at the different renovations and the decorations, even if I am never going to have the energy to do any of that. Um, I like getting recipe inspiration out of there, especially their seasonal recipes, now that I can slow down a little bit and get a chance to actually cook. Um, I like a lot of the fall recipes, so soups and stews, and, you know, I'm all about some of those desserts right now, too. So, um, And they usually have articles about, you know, different interesting places um, down south that I would love to go and visit sometime. So flipping through some Southern living is going to be part of my downtime. And then what am I listening to? I am listening to Elise Meyer's new podcast, Funny Because It's True. If you don't know who Elise Myers is, she is a digital content creator. She's a writer. She's a comedian. Um, she is most well-known for her TikTok videos that, I mean, all started going viral when she told the story of being stuck buying like 100 tacos on a first date. <laughs> and it's just been going from there. She's a, an absolutely uh, sweet individual, and she's funny. She's created this weekly podcast where she talks with her favorite creators and her friends and other comedians. And they're all sharing stories that have stuck with them and somehow changed their lives in some way. But they're, you know, they're those not-so-funny moments that have eventually become funny over time. Um, and they talk about how they handled the situation and then how they learned about how to laugh at them, you know, years later. So I just love Elise because she's very down to earth and she's very willing to talk about her anxieties and imposter syndrome and ADHD issues and all of those things. And she's just very authentic and the podcast is really funny. So I've taken to listening to it while I'm out on my long runs and it's uh, definitely a nice little escape. All right, let's talk asparagus. So if you are new here, first of all, welcome, welcome. 
Um, and secondly, I always start with the basics of a crop. It's scientific name, it's ethnobotany, the nutritional content, and then we move into talking about the cultivation, different pests and diseases, how to harvest the crop, and then how to store it. So this episode is no different. So let's start with the basics. The scientific name for our common garden asparagus is Asparagus officinalis. Um, sources differ as to the native range of asparagus. Most sources generally um, include most of Europe, Western Asia, and Northern Africa, although it is now propagated throughout most of the world, and it has naturalized in many temperate regions. I keep having people here in West Central Missouri say, oh, well, that's just wild asparagus that's been, you know, around for decades. And yes, it very well may have been, but it is not native to North America. It has been naturalized here. Garden asparagus is in the plant family Asparagaceae. Now, it used to be in the lily family, but just like onions and garlic that were also listed in that family, asparagus was found to be substantially different enough from its lily cousins to warrant its own family. So there are 300 species in that family, including the ornamental versions you may have seen, um, specifically things like asparagus fern. The cultural significance and ethnobotanical uses. Remember, ethnobotany is the study of a region's plants and their practical uses through the traditional knowledge of a local culture and its people. But there's not a whole lot known about the uses of asparagus in its wild form. It's been cultivated since the time of the ancient Greeks, and it looks very similar now as it did back then. We just have hybridized versions that produce more robust spears now. It's still prized for its very young shoots, and it, like I said, can often be found growing in like roadside ditches and in fields everywhere. From a, from a cultural significance, um, asparagus has been prescribed to stimulate and strengthen kidney function and lower blood pressure. And of course, we now know that that is due to its potassium content. In Asian medicine, asparagus root is given for cough and diarrhea and nervous problems. But generally speaking, it is most often used culinarily. So what is the nutrition of asparagus? A 100-gram serving of asparagus spears contains 4 grams of carbs, 2 grams of protein, virtually zero fat, for around 20 calories. It's got decent amounts of iron, vitamin C, vitamin B6, potassium, magnesium, and calcium, and is an excellent source of vitamin K, vitamin A, folate, and zinc. It is very low in sodium and is a very good source of fiber. So, if you've decided that you want to grow asparagus, this is how you do it. This is a cool season crop. In fact, it is among one of the earliest crops that will pop up in spring in no matter what region you're growing it in. And like I mentioned in the intro, the beds for asparagus can last 15 years, sometimes as many as 30 years if they are taken care of. A lot of people will plant it not just for eating, but also for sort of an edible landscape because it has that really fine, ferny foliage. So when you're planting asparagus, you're usually going to be starting them from either one or two-year-old crowns. They can be grown from seed, but then you have to, it takes an extra year to get them to full size. So you can do that. It's fine. Um, but just know that it's going to take a, an additional year to get them to maturity. They're planted in the spring, which is why it is best to start preparing the bed in the fall. You can also, um, if you don't order them from a catalog, if you have a friend or a neighbor who has an established asparagus bed, 
You can also plant them from divisions. You would go and divide those plants in the early spring and go and transplant them into your own garden. Now, only do this if you know that A, there's not a pest problem, specifically asparagus beetles. We'll talk about them in a little bit. Um, and also that there haven't been any disease issues. Otherwise, just your safest bet is either to um, order the crowns or you, like I said, can do them from seed. Um, the germination temperature from the seed is 70 to 77 Fahrenheit. It takes about 10 days to two weeks for them to germinate. And you can save the seeds for about three years. So if you if you buy a packet and you just start a few and none of them pan out, you can you can try again. But I have found absolutely the easiest way to grow them is from crowns. They prefer full sun. They can tolerate part shade. So if you have a spot um, in your garden that maybe is full sun early on in the spring, but then tends toward a little bit more shade later on in the season, that's fine. Asparagus can tolerate that. It can also tolerate acidic soil, even though it really does prefer a pH that is closer to 7.0 or maybe 7.1 or 2. Um, it tolerates a wide range, but it, it, does, it does like a little bit more of an alkaline soil. You also want to be sure that the soil is well-draining. Um, loose, deep soils, high in organic matter, you, you may need to lime before you plant. You may need to fertilize before you plant. Again, all good reasons for getting the bed started in the fall. I mentioned already that asparagus is a long-lived perennial, which means that you probably ought to consider very carefully where it is that you're going to plant it. Test the soil and apply phosphorus, potassium, and lime if necessary before you plant them. Definitely the phosphorus if your test shows that it's even remotely low. This is the primary nutrient that asparagus is going to need because we eat the spears, not the leaves. Also, when considering your site, try to avoid any place that is in a frost pocket. You know those areas of your yard that you know will frost first because it's a little bit lower lying and therefore the cold air just sort of settles into it? A late killing frost will actually damage any of your asparagus spears that have already emerged, so if you can avoid planting in that pocket, then do so. You also want to be sure when you're prepping the bed that you make it as weed-free as possible. Um, asparagus doesn't like competition, especially in the first two years after being planted. So if you can start with a weed-free bed, the better off you are. Once you get your bed prepped um, and you're ready to start planting in the spring, you're going to plant the crowns about four to six weeks before your average last frost. So you're planting pretty early, which means make sure that you're prepared and you get them ordered in on time. There is a wide range of suggestions as far or recommendations for how far apart you should plant them. I've seen, you know, planting the crowns as close together as 12 inches, and I've seen them planted as far apart as 24 inches. This, to me, is going to depend on your gardening style and how well you have prepped the bed. If you are pretty convinced that there's not a ton of weeds in there that you're going to have to worry about getting in and cultivating to remove, then planting closer together should be just fine. Eventually, they're all going to grow in and be that close together anyway. But if you're not so sure and you think there's a possibility that you'll have some weeds popping up here and there, then you may want to leave that larger gap between the plants so you can more easily get in there to pull those weeds without damaging the spears as they're coming up. You want to dig a trench 
about eight inches deep for the most part, unless you're planting the Jersey series, which I'll talk about here in a minute, and then it's a little bit shallower. I think it's like five to six inches deep. So just follow the directions with whatever crowns you get. After you dig your trench, you're going to put your plants in, in that spacing that you prefer, anywhere from the 12 to 24 inches, and then sort of spread the roots out in the bottom of the trench and then cover it with about one to two inches of soil. Now this is not going to fill the trench in completely. You're just doing it to cover the plants. As the plants sprout and start to grow, then you're gonna cover with more soil. So every time new growth appears, cover with another inch or two of soil until that trench is completely filled in and then let them do their thing. You're gonna water them in when you first plant them, and then you really only need to water them during dry spells during the first year. You do not want to overwater asparagus plants. This is why it's important to choose a point or choose a spot in the garden that is well draining. Asparagus does not tolerate being waterlogged. We used to have a very nice asparagus bed, and after a few years, we unfortunately flooded in that field. Um, actually, we flooded in several fields, and we flooded three times in one year, and that was enough to take out our asparagus bed, and we have yet to replant because I know how important it is to have a properly prepared bed, and I just haven't been able to find the time in my schedule to be able to start a new bed in the fall and do everything that needs to be done. It's on my list, but yes, I we, we learned the hard way that waterlogged soils um, are not good for asparagus crowns. Once you get them planted and let them grow um, that first season, around midsummer or so, you probably want to go ahead and mulch. Use some straw or some leaves or some grass clippings. This is going to help to control the weeds. It's also going to keep the soil from drying out. Just be careful that you're not bringing in weed seeds with your mulch. So this is one of those instances where I don't recommend hay because if there's any kind of seed at all in that hay, it's going to get established and it's going to sprout up in and around your asparagus and you don't want that. Um, you just want to keep them really well mulched just to prevent any weeds from getting established. And then as the spears come up that first year, you are not going to harvest anything the first season. This is all about letting those plants get established. So let the spears come up, let them grow. They're going to fern out and they're going to have these, you know, these beautiful ferny growths. At this point, if you have an older variety that is open pollinated, one that is not an all male variety, this is when you can weed out the females and give more space for some, some male plants. I'll talk about this here in a little bit, but female plants will set seed. They'll produce these red berries later in the season after they've ferned out. If you want to remove the females, that's how you're gonna tell which ones are the female plants and which ones are the male plants. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You guys know I've been using Elm Dirt's products in our greenhouse and gardens all summer long with fantastic results. But now I've realized all my houseplants I've neglected all gardening season are in desperate need of being potted up. 
Just in time, Elm Dirt has announced their newest product, their all-purpose potting mix. This mix is a blend of organic ingredients crafted to create a living potting soil. Not only does it contain their ancient soil, a blend of worm castings along with four of the most bioactive soil enhancing ingredients, it also contains no peat moss. You guys know I'm super concerned about the environmental impact of peat moss and Elm Dirt has chosen to use pit moss for water retention instead. Pit moss is made from organic recycled paper and is a sustainable alternative to peat moss, which makes my little sustainable heart very happy. Elm Dirt is offering Just Grow Something gardening friends a little something special to get you started in using their products. Go to justgrowsomethingpodcast.com slash dirt and use the code justgrow at checkout to get a free bottle of their bloom juice with any purchase. That's justgrowsomethingpodcast.com slash dirt with code justgrow at checkout for a free bottle of bloom juice with any purchase from Elm Dirt. Now, you might hear um, some old advice about using salt to kill weeds in your asparagus bed. Please do not do this. This came about because asparagus can be planted or was grown in highly saline soils, right? Soils that already had a high salt content. And so since the plants are salt tolerant, there was an old practice of using salt to kill the weeds. Unfortunately, this can also cause a salinated soil and that salt isn't always going to stay just right there in that bed. So I don't ever recommend using salt to kill weeds. You know, hand pull the weeds, cultivate around the plants. Prevention is key with this one. Um, please don't use salt in your in your asparagus beds. You can, though, do a regular application of compost or well-rotted manure. Not only is this going to provide a steady source of nutrients for your plants, but again, it's also going to help prevent any of those weeds from getting established. Let your asparagus fern out and do not cut back the ferns in the fall until they die naturally on their own. As they're dying, they're transporting, the tops of those, those plants are transporting carbon and nutrients down into the roots for winter storage. So if you remove any of the green ferns, this is going to decrease the amount of energy stored in the plant. This is going to weaken that plant. Now you do want to remove the ferns um, once they are completely yellow or brown, when they've completely died back. You can do this either in the late fall or in the early spring. When possible, late fall is preferred because this is going to help to eliminate any insect pests that will overwinter in the ferns, specifically those asparagus beetles. You can choose to either cut the ferns back, you can chop them, you can mow them. Um, a lot of people will do a controlled burn if that's safe in your area. This is especially effective for eliminating asparagus beetles, um, but chopping or mowing is just fine. Do this in the fall. If you can't get around to it in the fall, then by all means go ahead and do it in the spring before um, the new growth starts to come up. So pests, right? What, are the, what, what pests are we looking at with asparagus? Asparagus beetles. As far as I know, that is really the the main culprit um, when it comes to insect pests for asparagus. And in a garden-sized planting, really the best way to remove them is to hand pick them from the plants when you see them. Um, and then prevention, which would be cutting back those ferns after they've died back in the fall to prevent the asparagus beetle from overwintering. Now, <laughs> Here's a weird note about companion planting. 
I'm not sure how you would swing this because most asparagus beds that I have seen, the asparagus, once it fills in, is spaced pretty closely together. So to have this suggestion that I came across, it seems a little counterintuitive, but I, I suppose it could be managed. Asparagus is said to be a useful companion plant for tomatoes because the tomato plant will repel the asparagus beetle and the asparagus may repel some harmful root nematodes that affect the tomato plants. Okay, it's interesting. And I suppose if you have an asparagus bed, um, especially an established one, I wouldn't do this with a new bed, but if you have an established asparagus bed and you were to have some designated areas within that bed to plant a few tomato plants, I suppose that would work. Not something I have tried myself, just an interesting tidbit that I read about. And uh, so if you have a problem with asparagus beetle, maybe try planting some tomatoes in your asparagus bed. The only other thing that you have to really worry about with asparagus is disease, specifically fusarium wilt and crown rot. Most of these, you know, fusarium, it can be in um, in the soil, but the crown rot, usually that's brought in with the crown. So you just want to make sure that you're buying disease-free crowns or seed. If you are starting with seedlings, do not over-harvest. We'll talk about harvest here in a minute. Make sure that you are pulling out any plants that look like they're diseased. Discard them, destroy them, and make sure that you're getting the entire plant. You'll have to dig it up along with the surrounding soil and any soil clinging to the roots because both of these diseases are harbored in the soil. The only other disease that I've ever seen with um, asparagus is rust. It's a specific asparagus rust. Again, avoid you know the, the overcrowding and avoid overharvesting. You should help keep your plants healthy and be able to defend itself from rust. Can you do this in containers? Absolutely. You can grow asparagus in raised planters. As a matter of fact, it's a great way to be able to control the soil type, the soil texture, the nutrient level, the pH level, all of those things. Especially if you are in an area where you have a heavy clay soil that tends to get a little bit waterlogged, raised beds are actually a really, really good idea. If we were just planting for ourselves and I didn't have any intention of harvesting for like our CSA or for sale, I would probably prefer to do asparagus in raised planters um, because we need a larger area than that that won't work for us but I would absolutely encourage you if you want to grow asparagus and your soil is not ideal or even if it is um, and you just want to have a little bit more control over things then by all means grow asparagus in planters. Okay so let's talk about the varieties of asparagus that you can plant. The most common is a green asparagus and for highest yields like I mentioned before you are going to want to plant all male hybrids. Okay, Male asparagus plants can be two to three times higher yielding than female plants and the male plants tend to live longer. The all-male hybrids are very easy to order. There is a whole series of them called the Jersey series. These are the Jersey Giant, Jersey King, and Jersey Knight varieties. They were developed by Rutgers University, located in, yeah, you guessed it, New Jersey. <laughs> um, but they are a standard go-to variety for home growers and commercial growers alike. They are very productive. Um, they tend to be more disease-resistant than the older open-pollinated varieties. 
if you are somebody who, you know, who wants to stick with the older varieties, the heirlooms, the older varieties like the Martha Washington, for example, you can go ahead and do that, but you can also identify the less productive female plants at flowering and then either pull them and just thin them out or pull them and replace them with the male plants. The flowers on male plants are larger and they're longer than the female flowers. The female flowers will have a well-developed three-lobed stamen. And like I said before, they will produce the red berries. Um, so most instances, if your asparagus has red berries on it, that is a female plant. And you can thin that one out and replace it with a male plant. Now there is also purple asparagus. I believe this was originally developed in Italy, but now there are varieties that I've seen from um, New Zealand and California. Purple asparagus has a higher sugar content, so it is sweeter. Um, obviously, being purple, it has a higher level of anthocyanins. Um, it is also very tender. It is less fibrous than the traditional green, so that might be something if you have some picky eaters in your house. Although it does turn green after it's been cooked for a certain time period, so just keep that in mind if you're expecting, just like, you know, purple green or purple beans, when you cook them, they turn green. I think purple asparagus has a tendency to do the same thing depending on how long you cook it for. Um, and then there's also white asparagus, but white asparagus is not actually a variety. White asparagus is simply blanched asparagus. So if you want white asparagus, you are going to blanch it while it's growing. So as it's coming up, you carefully hill that soil up over the spears as they grow, or you can put them um, under row covers or opaque buckets to exclude the light. And that is how you get white asparagus. I don't really think there's much of a taste difference to me. Uh, I don't know if it's a novelty thing. Some people may think that it's it's sweeter. I don't know. It seems like a lot of work to me to get, you know, a novel white asparagus. But to each his own. You want white asparagus? You gotta blanch it. Let's talk about harvesting our asparagus. I mentioned that you should not be harvesting that first year after you plant. Now, when you do start to harvest is going to depend on what you planted. If you started them from seed and you started them straight into the ground, you're going to wait three years before you take a first harvest. No matter what, no matter how you planted or when you planted, you want the crown to be three years old before you take that first harvest. So if you planted from seed, you're going to wait three full years. If you planted one-year crowns, then you're going to wait two years. And then, of course, if you plant two-year crowns, you're going to let it grow that first year, and then you will be able to take a light harvest that next year, and then go ahead and take a full harvest in the fourth year, okay? So light harvest in the third year, full harvest the fourth year. This is going to allow your plants to get fully established and be able to start reproducing, and you won't deplete the energy that they store in those crowns. So you harvest asparagus spears by just snapping them off at the ground level when they pop up in the spring, before any of the flower buds at the tips begin to open. Usually this is when they're around six inches or so. You can, if you want to, use a clean, sharp knife or use some gardening shears. I have just always just snapped them where they tend to be the weakest right at the ground level. This is a lot faster when you're harvesting and you're also less likely to cut the spear next to it that may not quite be ready yet. Um, but if you prefer to do it with a, a knife or with some shears, then, then go ahead and do that. Just make sure you're doing it right about at the ground level. 
you are going to want to harvest your asparagus about every two days. They grow really quickly. And if any of them reach that sort of 10-inch tall mark, then don't harvest them. Just let them go, okay? So every two days, you can be out there harvesting. That first year that you harvest, you really only want to harvest for about a month, right? Four, four weeks is good. Maybe pushing it to six weeks if the bed seems really, really healthy. And from then on out, after that, a full harvest will take about six to eight weeks. You can keep snapping those spears off. If you live in a very cold climate and you have a hard freeze or a heavy frost in the forecast during the springtime as those spears are coming up, you want to go through and harvest all of the spears in your bed regardless of what size they are. You'll avoid frost damage and then any spears that are still underground can emerge on time. Um, there's nothing wrong with shorty asparagus. It's actually very, very tender. If they're really short, you can just toss them into, into soup. But you don't want any of the spears to remain above ground if you're going to have a hard freeze. So then once you're done with your harvesting period, go ahead and let the remaining spears shoot up and go to their fern stage. Now, if you notice any decrease in production or in the vigor of your asparagus plants, maybe stop harvesting a week or two earlier and let the plants store their energy up for next season. And like I said, any spears that reach a height of more than 10 inches before you get around to harvesting them, just leave them alone, let them continue to grow and to strengthen their roots and store that energy up for next year. This is how you have an asparagus bed last 15, 20, 30 years. You just have to make sure that you're not taking too much at one time. Now, when you get your asparagus harvested, you want to put it in the refrigerator right away. Now, the best way that I have found to store asparagus is by bundling them up in little bunches, usually about a half a pound to a pound is good, and tie it with a rubber band. And then stand that bundle up in a glass mason jar or a, you know a shallow dish that's got a little bit of water in the bottom and then put a plastic baggie loosely over the top of the spear and put it in the fridge okay this keeps the spears in a really nice humid environment underneath that little plastic baggie and the water keeps them fresh and it prevents them from drying out i have been able to hold asparagus like this for like 10 days without any loss of quality whatsoever. It still tasted perfectly fresh. Um, I've tried wrapping them in wet paper towels and throwing them into the crisper drawer, and that works fine for a couple of days, but any longer than that, I find that I have to be re-wetting the paper towel, and the spears, especially on the bottoms, start to dry out really bad. So this having them standing up in a little bit of water and then covered loosely with the plastic baggie um, has just seemed to work tremendously well for me. Now, for longer-term storage, you can freeze your asparagus. Um, you just blanch them and then lay them out on a cookie sheet in the freezer to freeze them individually and place them into a freezer bag, similar to the way that you would, say, oh, green beans or, or anything else that you want to you wanna freeze. You can also can asparagus if you have a pressure canner. That's the safest way to do it. Remember, at low-acid foods, we don't want to can those in, in a regular water bath canner, so we want to make sure we have a pressure canner. Or if you only have a water bath canner, you can pickle asparagus. And you can can it up that way. Personally, 
Blanching and freezing is the easiest for me unless you have loads of asparagus because it'll take about 16 pounds of asparagus to can or pickle a canner load of around nine pints. That's a lot of asparagus. So my my quick tip is just, you know, as you realize that you have too much to eat fresh, then just go ahead and blanch them and freeze them and call it a day. That's it for asparagus. So now is the time. If you plan to plant this lovely perennial vegetable in your garden or in a raised container, now is the time to be getting it ready. So the key points are a weed-free bed, a little on the alkaline side, amend with lots of phosphorus, make sure it's got lots of good organic matter. Start looking in those catalogs now for some varieties that interest you that you can order for delivery in the spring. And most of these catalogs are going to ask you what your zone is. They're going to see where you are gardening and they will send it at the appropriate time. Because like I said, four to six weeks before your last frost in the spring is when you should be getting these in the ground. Asparagus beds can last 15 years, up to 30 years if really well maintained. So a few years of patiently waiting to harvest those tender little spears can really pay off. And speaking of perennials, I have got a special bonus episode for you. This Friday, you'll get to hear my conversation with Kathy Gormandy of P&K Farms. Kathy is a flower farmer, and she sat down to talk with me about all the things a home gardener should know when deciding to plant their own cut flowers, both annuals and perennials. I really appreciated this chat because, as I have mentioned before, I am most definitely not a flower grower, but I love having a vase or two of fresh flowers in the house, and I really want to grow my own. So Kathy's info was absolutely invaluable, and it was a great conversation. So join me back here this Friday to hear all about growing your own cut flowers. Until next time, my gardening friends, keep on cultivating that dream garden, and we'll talk again soon. You just finished another episode of the Just Grow Something podcast. For more information about today's topic, head on over to JustGrowSomethingPodcast.com for all the episodes, show notes, blog posts, discount codes, and more. Don't forget to sign up for the newsletter while you're there. You can also head to Facebook and join a community of other gardeners asking questions and sharing their experiences in the Just Grow Something Gardening Friends Facebook group. And if you want to support this show even further, head to patreon.com slash justgrowsomething to find out how. Until next time, my gardening friends, keep learning, keep growing, and we'll talk again soon. I've had people asking me at the at the garden, st- uh, the garden stand, and we have the wood-burning um, fires. Um, and then as the... Foliage as so when you're planting asparagus, you're usually going to be planting planting. If you've listened to this podcast for any length of time or seen my posts on Instagram, you know my husband and I are both former military and that we have a serious coffee habit. We also like to support other veteran-owned businesses, so Black Rifle Coffee is our coffee of choice. Not only do they have great coffee and merch, but they give back to military and first responders with every purchase. If you'd like to support this podcast and another veteran-owned business while also supporting your own coffee habit, head to JustGrowSomethingPodcast.com slash coffee to save 20% when you join the Black Rifle Coffee Club. Give them a try with no commitment you can cancel at any time. That's JustGrowSomethingPodcast.com slash coffee for 20% off your coffee club subscription.